0: Hello, my name is Richard Fern of the University of Warwick. I'm joined today by Professor De Ruer, Director of the National Academy for Gifted and Talented Youth. It was set up in 2002 by the government and is based here at the University of Warwick.
1: Professor, what's the
0: National Academy for?
1: The National Academy for Gifted and Talented Youth was set up to make sure that we as a country um, find our most able students and make sure that they get the kind of schooling and opportunities that they need to convert their potential into high performance.
0: Does that mean our schools are failing talented youth?
1: No, not at all. Schools have traditionally found it quite difficult to challenge their most able students. Schools are primarily pitching at the middle, and it's always difficult to deal with the extremities, including the gifted and talented. So what we're trying to do here is to help schools to do their job more efficiently, but also to supplement that which is offered by schools through giving access to additional opportunities um, for children and young people who fall into this cohort.
0: So over the past four years, you've had considerable success. You've just had your 100,000 students sign up. What is it specifically that you offer to these students?
1: Well, students who become members of the National Academy are put forward by their schools. And once they have gone through the admissions process and become a member of the National Academy, that opens the door for them to a whole plethora of different kinds of opportunities face-to-face single lectures, day courses, online opportunities, right through to extended summer schools of two and three weeks duration.
0: Of course, many people have been critical of your approach. They say it's elitist. They say that it can lead those who are left out of your 100,000 students to feel like failures.
1: Well, we recognise that identifying gifted and talented students isn't an exact science. And what we're trying to do here is to do it as well as it's possible to do it. So we deliberately say that um, students can join the National Academy at any time between the ages of 11 and 18. So that leaves the door open for late developers. And we've we've made sure that the admissions process enables students with different kinds of abilities and talents to be put forward. So it's not just a kind of single test and you're in. So
0: So this isn't the 11 plus we visited?
1: Absolutely not. There are a variety of ways in which you can demonstrate excellence.
0: And what guidance do you give to schools in identifying gifted children?
1: Well, schools are already asked by government to identify gifted children and to make use of both qualitative and quantitative measures. So they've already got at their disposal... um, a whole lot of test scores of various sorts, right through from the key stage test scores, GCSEs, etc. But in addition to that, most secondary schools are also involved in um, testing using cognitive ability tests um, to predict scores at GCSE. So what we say to schools is make use of the testing you've already got as your starting point. Find the people who are achieving highly on those tests. That's where you begin. But we know that those tests are not the whole answer. We know, for example, that those tests will not pick up um, students who are working, for example, in a second or third language. Traditionally, those kinds of achievement tests do militate against particular subgroups within the population. So what we're then saying to schools are, okay, you're aware of that. We're aware of that. You've got to dig deeper. You've got to look for other indicators of ability. And we are prepared to look at whatever evidence you bring forward. So we are happy to look at a young person's annotated coursework, for example, if they haven't scored highly on tests. And, and schools have been quite imaginative in putting forward um, non-traditional evidence to support the case for students coming in through the National Academy.
0: Are schools by and large supportive?
1: At the moment, we've got around um, 60% of schools who are actively engaged with us, and that's increasing all of the time. Um, They're supportive in that once they see what happens for their students and the fact that it really does have a benefit, then there's a kind of growing interest from schools. And I think the important thing about what happens for their students is that the students in the driving seat, they get the choice about what they do. There's nothing compulsory. They're just offered a whole range of possibilities, and they select... And there's no assessment attached to it. No, Nobody has to sit an exam. They're just doing this. It's learning for learning's sake, for sheer enjoyment. And the benefit for the students is that um, they do get access to some quite startlingly wonderful opportunities that they wouldn't get anywhere else. And um, And by and large... Once students have begun to engage, um, not only do they find it really satisfying and rewarding, but they also find it does have an effect on how they perform in school. It helps them to learn new skills. It helps them to look at things in, different kind, in a different kind of way. And um, what we're doing through Access to the Student Academy is helping those students to change their own self-esteem, their own aspirations and, um, and change their lives.
0: Over the last seven days, the government has announced a new register for gifted children.
1: How does that
0: fit into your work?
1: Well, it's not really a new register. This is just um, a scaling up of the work that's been going on over the past four years. As we said before, we currently have about 100,000 students out of a possible 200,000. And so what we have now is a fairly inequitable system across the country. So some young people being put forward by their schools and benefiting from all of this, and others not being given that opportunity. What the government is keen to do is to make sure that everybody who should have the opportunity gets access to it. And they... By creating this register, they're also making available to schools additional data um, which has not been in the public domain before. So, for example, when students sit the um, the the national Sats tests, um, for example, at eleven, children who sit the, the Sats tests at eleven. Um, about 25% of them get level five but a school doesn't know which of those students actually got really outstanding results that would put them into the top five percent that's all going to be made available to them now so that that information is at their disposal but I would really want to um, emphasize here that some of the press coverage has suggested that the key stage two sats are the only form of data which enables you to be on the register and become part of the National Academy. That's simply not the case. It is the case that there is a formal admissions process that takes account of a wide variety of different kinds of data, and schools need to use all the possible routes to make sure that all of the students that that could benefit do benefit.
0: This is criticised as just a gimmick. There's no point just having a register. This isn't going to do anything for the children. It's just going to uh, uh, look good for the government spin doctors.
1: Well, I think that would be to suggest that the register is an end in itself, which it's not intended to be. The register is really a first step. It's about finding out where these gifted and talented children and young people are, where they're located. And that will open the door to additional opportunities. So people who've criticised saying it's just a gimmick, well, it would be a gimmick if it was just a list that led nowhere. This is a list that leads to all sorts of new opportunities to enable people to do well.
0: Wouldn't it be the case that some schools would be ill-equipped to provide the the enhanced criteria that we've spoken about for joining Nagtì or joining the register?
1: Well. Um... Some schools obviously are, are, have taken this much more seriously than others, but every school in the country has a gifted and talented coordinator and it really falls to them to play this role of, of putting forward their students and, and, as it were, sponsoring them into the academy. Um, when a school um, makes contact with us to say that they're having any kind of particular difficulty, and, and then we do take steps to try and help them with that. And we've particularly um, done some work with schools in very challenging and disadvantaged circumstances, where sometimes their students may not have the achievement levels that we're asking for on the tests. But we know that achievement is linked to the opportunities you've had already. So if you haven't had access to really sophisticated opportunities, you may not be achieving quite so highly. But there are ways in which we can help your school to identify um, the potential that is latent there, but which all of us really want to develop.
0: To what extent do you think NAGTI and the register addresses the class issues and the class failings in the school system?
1: We've done some quite intensive work looking at um, the effect of being made a member of the National Academy going onto the register and what, we've, what we had assumed was that we would have a conversation about having located these youngsters what was it that they needed to help them to do well but what we discovered perhaps to our surprise, was the mere business of having been admitted had made changes for these students in their lives. Everybody changed their expectations, not just the student themselves. The school changed its expectations of what what this youngster would achieve. And the family changed their expectations of what the youngster would achieve. And suddenly you got an h- entire network working together to try and make it happen. The evidence that we've got at the, from our exit survey last summer was that the students who came out of the student academy, um, 84% of them got three grades, grade A, at A level. And that's pretty high. But what's more impressive is that um, that comes from the full range of socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnic groups. So what we've had in the past in the education system is that the best predictor of how well you will do is not, in fact, your ability at all. It's the family into which you were born. If the kind of evidence we're seeing now in terms of the exit uh, evidence from the National Academy as these students go on into higher education and other careers, if that's maintained, then we're beginning to see a bit more equity in the system.
0: So you said earlier that uh, about 60% of of schools at the moment are working quite closely with you. Approximately then 40% are are falling through the net, and broadly speaking that would mean 40% of possible students are falling through the net. What are you doing to to capture that that forty percent?
1: Well, one of the reasons for having the national register is to raise the profile, and that in itself will make a difference to the 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 number of schools that engage, because it is now a national expectation that schools will put forward students, and therefore it's the kind of question which um, which schools will be asked about by, for example, Ofsted when they come to visit. On our side, we're um, we open our new recruitment round in September and we will be writing directly to schools uh, taking up the National Register issue. Um, Once we've got these 200,000 secured, the National Register will also provide data on the the cohorts which schools identify themselves as gifted and talented. And there is a difference here, and and sometimes people can find this confusing, which is that there's a national top 5% who become who go onto the register by virtue of going through the NAGT admissions process. But at the same time, each individual school is asked to identify its own top 10%. That means the top 10% in their school. And that is a very different cohort of students, because depending on the school, um, you could find yourself in the gifted and talented cohort in one school, but not necessarily in another school. It's a relative definition. Isn't
0: it very damaging to children to call them to label them as an elite at an early age.
1: Well, it's kind of interesting this. If you label somebody as elite um, in that, in a way which makes them think that somehow they're kind of um, special and it's God-given and therefore everything will work out, um, you do do them a lot of damage. What you need to do is to convey to them that what you're spotting here is the potential to achieve highly. That does not guarantee high achievement. And in-
0: equally, of course... Isn't it damaging to the 90% who are told, well, you're not destined for intellectual greatness, we can't even put you forward onto this register?
1: Well, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the case that that's what we're saying, because as I've pointed out before, there are various different times at which you can have a bite of the cherry. So the fact that you're not on the register now does not mean you will never be on the register And we know that what we talk about as giftedness is this is this dynamic interaction between potential opportunities and personal drive. And so consequently, what we're looking for here is students who we think have the potential, who, when they're given the opportunities, develop the personal drive. So to some extent, what we're kind of saying is it's over to you. You know, if you try hard enough, there will be people who emerge later um, as part of coming through the system and they may not appear on on our cohort until 15 17 18 and of course even if you never get identified it, while you're at school that doesn't mean you're not going to go on to excel the the whole of the open university is to is a testament to the fact that people can excel in later life even if they didn't earlier on
0: what makes you personally interested in this gifted cohort
1: I'm interested in it because I don't like to see underachievement. And you asked me the question about um, what happens in terms of the negative impact of labelling. Um, I guess one of the things that really drives me is the positive impact of labelling, particularly on uh, young people from disadvantaged backgrounds, where it raises their aspiration and their self-esteem. And suddenly they see themselves doing things that they would never have thought of doing before. But I think, you know, I'm an ex-teacher, and um, when I was a teacher, I just wanted to do a good job for everybody that I taught. Um, Gifted and talented are just part of being a good teacher. It's not that they're more important than others. It's just that they're equally important. And in the past they've they've quite often had a pretty raw deal. There's a sort of assumption that if you're gifted and talented, somehow everything will turn out fine. You will just sail through and do very well. Well, there's a really compelling body of evidence to suggest that that's not the case. That There are people who in the literature are kind of called teacher pleasers and they're the ones who um, really are very diligent in school and they do their homework and they will do well. But there are also some very intelligent people who have not done well at school and some of them have gone on to be outstandingly successful in later life and when they talk about their schooling they describe their schooling as being uninspired something which they didn't really buy into and they didn't really begin to excel. So for me, I think the kind of switch on is, well, if you think about what percentage of people then have gone through their school and then make good later, probably a fairly small percentage of the overall total of people who, if we got it right the first time round, would have gone on to excel um, in right through their adult career.
0: So now we've seen four years of Nagtì. We've seen the the beginning of this register. How do you see this this process and this policy going on into the future?
1: Well, I think we will we will this will bed down into the system in such a way that says, well, as a school, one of the things that we're trying to do is to find out who we've got, who we think have the potential to to do really very well indeed, and it's a kind of It's a talent-spotting process. What you're trying to do as a school is to say, these are the people we already know are really good, but we're also aware that there's other people who are yet undiscovered, and we're on this quest to find them as we go through school. And the more we find, the better we should feel about ourselves as a school. And we should not feel from the school perspective that because we can't provide every single opportunity they need, that somehow we have failed. What we need to do is to signpost them towards those kinds of opportunities and then bask in reflected glory when they excel in, in whatever field is that they choose to pursue. This week we, um, as you know, um, we did provide some publicity for our hundred thousandth member. Um, he was a very normal 15 year old boy called David um, And he interested me a lot in terms of him talking about what he likes, what he doesn't like. The thing David likes most of all is archaeology. He wants to be a marine archaeologist. And so um, he's done AS level archaeology, but not in school. He was just sufficiently interested in it to want to find a way to do it. And I think the challenge to us is to say, well, good on you, David. If you really want to do it, let's support you and help you do it. Let's not say... Well, just because it's not available in school, you really shouldn't be dabbling in archaeology yet. You know, you have to wait till you go to university at 18. So I think this whole business in the future, we won't see these artificial ceilings. We won't see this kind of sense of the system telling the student what they have to do. The student will be much more in the driving seat making use of those opportunities. And um, and I don't think that's just an education issue. It's part of the way all of us are developing in the way we see our lives. And young people are used to shopping around for the things that they want. And they're very, very good users of modern technologies like the internet. So just because you have decided as a school that you're going to introduce a particular concept or topic at a particular time, does not mean that students haven't met it before. Some of them may have investigated it in really considerable detail in their own time. And what, we, what we're doing as a system, if we, if we look at where we're going to be in the future, is what we're looking at is a system which flexes itself sufficiently, not only to kind of accommodate that, to actually encourage it so that every, every individual child and young person... Um, develops to their absolute maximum potential in a wide variety of different kinds of ways rather than it's a one size fits all that everybody goes through at the same pace and some people failing at particular hurdles as they go this is much more about a system that says look at yourself find your strengths we'll help you take the next strength the next steps to help you make real progress in that area.
0: Professor Deborah thank you very much indeed.